take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everybody, welcome, Life in Red. We're back, and I'm very pleased to be joined by my guest today. My good, long-lost friend, I haven't seen you, well, I saw you recently, but other than that, it was like a two-year gap. It's Danielle. Danielle Allard, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm Ryan? good. I'm very good. Thank you. I'm, <laughs> so I'm good. glad we're going to be able to catch up on a microphone. Me too. Because um, I think you got a lot of cool stuff going on and oh, lots, to, lots of fun stuff to talk about. I feel the same way about you. Aww. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you are, I'll let you describe it. Just I like I said. Am. You. Oh. What are you? Who are you? Yeah. Who am I? What is life? Um, I'll, I'll answer with the easy version. Uh, I'm a singer-songwriter here in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, I teach by day. That's the thing that I do by day. And by night, I make music. And that's really fun. Yeah. That. How hard is that to juggle? One of the hardest things when people ask me about, you know, doing a podcast or anything, and that, like, this is a hobby. You're, you're doing it. You know, you're making money. You're putting out records and albums. The hardest thing I find is juggling the two because a full-time life is like it's pretty taxing. You you go there all day, you you're mentally drained by the end of it and then you got to go do something else. How do you yes. ba- how do you find that balance? Oh, balance. Ha ha ha. Um I think it was a few years ago that I just kind of kept putting myself through this vicious cycle of taking on too much and then getting extremely ill because of it. And so more recently I've learned to balance those things. So I'd say it's not as hard as it used to be, Mm. but you're also catching me at the end of a day in which I was teaching until 7 p.m. last night. I had a show and got home at 1 in the morning, and then I was teaching again today at 8 a.m. So today I don't feel like I'm balancing really well, uh, but it's also just like over time, it's really thinking what drains me of my energy and what gives me energy and how am I going to schedule my life so that I'm not constantly draining myself yeah. and learning to say no, which is really hard for most of us, I think. I'm terrible. I'm, <laughs> I'm just always like, yeah, no problem, no problem. And then all of a sudden you're just like, I'm drowning. Yes. Yeah. And so what I did is I actually, I spoke to so many people about this, learning how to say no. And so my piece of advice for you and to anybody who's listening about juggling many things and learning to say no, it's using it as an opportunity to help somebody. So for me, when I'm saying no now, it used to always be from this place of, I don't want to say no because they need my help. But now when I say no to something like another show, then I can immediately refer a friend who can do that thing instead. So not only am I helping the organizer, but I'm helping another friend get a gig. So that might help you if you have to say no. Wow, spitting (laughs) off wisdom and we're not even three minutes in. Um, You have three albums out now. Um, The last one more recently a year ago, you said? Yes, it was last May. where where do you find that passion that you know that that spark to create an album um i don't want to go you know working in radio i hear people interview artists and you get you like what inspires you da, da, da. but like how do you when you're going out and you're like i'm going to create an album mm-hmm. what goes into that like how do you piece together the songs like you know i guess it's probably in, very much you know up to the individual and everyone has a different style but how do you go about it 
Yeah, when you were asking what goes into that, my initial response was just to be like, mostly despair. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that makes a great album. It It really does. I must say. (laughs) Uh, And so for me, that was a powerful motivator for a long time, is just super sad teenage girl songs. Um, And that's still something that I just feel compelled to write. It's a way of getting out all those bad feelings. It's just putting them down on paper and they can go live over there and not inside of me anymore. Mm. But in terms of actually sitting down and going through that whole album process, I think most times it's been by accident. <laughs> um, you just kind of, I, I've always played music. I, I started playing when I was quite young. I started doing a lot of kind of different art projects when I was young. But as I got older and I went through university, I kind of stopped because I was just so swamped with work, so swamped with school. And then a friend came by and uh, we started playing shows just for fun. And then he said, well, you know, we can make some money at this. And I thought, well, I can pay off some tuition and I can just play a few shows. And that's the way it is. But our first show, people walked up and were asking for an album. And I was just so taken aback. I was like, well, obviously I don't have one of those. Uh, But then people kept asking. It just kind of seemed to be this huge, massive public pressure for us to make that album. Uh, And we ended up doing it which not something that I thought I would do in my life necessarily Mm -hmm. is write and produce an entire album so I think getting through that hurdle the first time knowing the process after made it easier for me to do it again and again and people walk up at CD release parties now and are like so when's the next album (laughs) and I'm like dude come on can you just enjoy this one like it was so much work and so much money Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah. a big, yeah, it's a big thing too that I guess people, because I mean, you're, you put it out independently, right? Yes. So that's self-financed. Oh, for sure. Um, I remember having um, Amanda on um, and she was an author and it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, you got to put your own money into it. For sure. If you're not a published and it's like, to me, it's like, wow, like you must mm-hmm. really, really want to do this. You know what I mean? Like you can really tell the dedication is there that. You're going to put an album self-financed, which can't, because sure. I don't know what, a co- like, putting out a CD is. Yeah. Well, my last do couple. Do people still do? Like, I, or do you just, oh, like, for sure. do, just put direct stream? Oh, for sure. CDs. I actually uh, just had a conversation with somebody about this today, uh, just debating between the CD and the physical um, purchase versus the digital. And, I mean, you still just see so much more of a return on investment with something physical mm-hmm. than we do with any kind of streams. Or but downloads. The one of the so um, way back when, when uh, the rock station I worked for mm-hmm. folded, mm-hmm. Um, we got all the CDs, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I was like, "Oh my god, look at that. the Hume Music Library!" It was like self picking, <laughs> and I had them in my car, and we're listening to them all the time. And then I got a new car, and new cars now do not have CD players. No, don't tell me that. Oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. You think I drive a new car? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess, yeah. I'm working two jobs. Come on. But the biggest thing was, yeah, it, it was 2017 um, car, and I didn't, it doesn't have a CD player. Wow. So now I have all these CDs. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, who really goes out and buys a stereo anymore? You go and buy Bluetooth. And yeah, you no, got... you're just going to have to get those monster speakers and those really expensive, gigantic cables and just become an audiophile and just get a five-disc CD changer, <laughs> Ryan. Just yeah, well, I suppose you could room. put them on. But that's what I'm wondering, like, if, yeah, you still make the CDs, but that has to be a financial investment in itself to get the artwork, put it together, like make the CD. I don't even know what goes into like 
burning things to a CD and then mass printing them. Yeah, like that's... it's it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but I still the CD from 2015. I'm almost out of, um, and that was a 1,000 print. So people buy them, uh, and people at live shows especially. Yeah, like it's just a way for them to connect with you after a show. It's a couple bucks for them, so it's not anything crazy. You're still making a couple mu- bucks back per unit, but. Um, yeah, people still like CDs, but I'm sad to hear that uh, new cars don't have yeah. CDs. Hmm. We're going to rethink, rethink the, that. Yeah, the financial <laughs> model, the next one. Um, I guess I had a great question. I already forgot what it was going to be. Um, what is that feeling like? So you you made thir- 1,000 CDs. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, like I might, people ask for them, but you're almost out of them. Yes. What is that feeling like? And I've always want, like, wanted to ask a question like this. When 1,000 people buy your work to listen to you, mm-hmm. what what goes through your mind when you're thinking, like, wow, like, 1,000 people are, like, listening to me and paid their hard-earned dollars yeah. to to listen to you? I guess you I didn't really think about it until just now, Ryan, when oh. you asked me that question. We have profound when talks you actually, here. No, when you actually think <laughs> about it for a moment, you're like, wow, that's a thing that I did. Um, I think the more profound moments are the people that write after they've listened to it. So um, f- there's one track specifically off of that. It's called Shipwreck, and it's just like gut-wrenching. And uh, when you're recording, there's always one track in the album when you're listening to it, when somebody lays down um, an instrument or something. And the first time I heard it, I just burst into tears. And I was just so pleased with how it actually came across. And it's just a devastating song. Um, But so many people have written to me just to say that specific song helped me through so much. And then you're like, okay, good. My sad teenage girl music didn't depress you further, but it actually (laughs) helped you by just feeling like you weren't alone in that moment. Like somebody had experienced that exact same thing and that listening to that music was some kind of catharsis. So Mm -hmm. I think it's those little moments along the way when people write and say this music had a profound impact on me or got me through something that's something that also makes you keep creating because you're like, okay, I can make a difference and I can help. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't, I I assume it's the same for you, but I I often say, so like when I'm speaking about mental health or or, or anything like that, when I was a teenager, I I will credit music to, you know, saving my life. Um, It's one of those things that spoke to me when I'm going, we are going through those teenage years where you've, feel like the world's on fire and mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on um that you hear like a, a whether it's your favorite band or just a song on the radio that it just you're just like it's like you wrote that yourself but someone like came to you mm-hmm. do you have that in mind when you write a song or is it all just like this is me this is what i'm feeling like do you go out with the the thought that other people might relate to this or are you kind of like 16-year-old Ryan where you're just like, <laughs> it's me against the world and there's nobody else? Um, um, I think a lot of the stuff that I write, my, my, I think it's right into talking about the writing practice. And I think um, I've journaled for so long. So it's mm-hmm. not like songs are usually just written on the spot about this one thing. So mm-hmm. I'll go through, I'll have a musical idea and then I'll kind of pick through a series of things that have been written sometimes over months, sometimes over years that kind of work well together and put it all together. So I don't even think it's just that kind of one thing 
this is me. Sometimes it's also just like hearing people's stories and hearing people's experiences and building stuff off of those things too. Um, there's one song called Echo and it was just kind of hearing that same thing over and over and over from so many different people and putting all of that together. So I think it's always kind of this communal thing when okay. I'm writing more so than just teenage Ryan. <laughs> He's dramatic. When you say that sad, the what is what the sad girl music? Yeah. Like that's that's me to a T. I like the sad girl music, but then I turned to metal, and I was yes. like, yeah. Now we're angry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you took that year, those years off in university to balance. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a goal before that? Like you're like, I I am talented. I think I can make a go at this. Mm. Or was it just, this is just something you're doing for fun. Um, and we're talking before the university part. Yeah. Like, did you ever think you can make a go of it? Like, is it was something you ever really wanted to do? Um, or did like, you know, after it just kind of fell on your lap? So I had a pretty rough time in elementary school. I didn't really fit in i was a mega nerd that's i guess the only way that i could describe it super nerdy um and most of my friends were my teachers and so for me i kind of threw myself into extra homework for fun i don't know why that was fun at seven Mm. years old um and all of the arts so i was doing theater and dance and and literary arts and visual arts and and music and just doing whatever i could um mostly because of raging anxiety that's probably when i think back to childhood like not being able to just sit still and do nothing like I have to be doing Mm -hmm. something um and I had one principal who just really believed in me and thought that there was some talent there which was nice from him I thought and told me about an art school so I actually went to high school for arts I think with the intention of maybe doing that one day Mm -hmm. professionally um I applied for the music program and I got into vocal performance and I mean we were performing like 75 shows a year from grade nine to grade 12 and training like six hours a day Uh, (laughs) so I I guess I was pretty hardcore then but I was so grateful in that grade 11 we were sat down to do business planning and so you have to actually plan out a tour budget everything Mm. and then see how much money you have left over at the end and for me at 16 years old I was like wow this is a realization um i might live in a cardboard box that might be my life path if i just do this thing so university for me was something that was important because i didn't think that music full-time was an option and uh, i was like well i guess i can go take something like media production or communication and at least i could still apply that to music if i want to Mm. but at least i could get a job somewhere with that um, and I just ended up really loving both. So I just kind of still do both all the time. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever like sing your lesson plan or something? Oh, yeah. Which is hilarious because <laughs> I've been I've been told that I have to go perform in class on Friday. So okay. that's probably actually going to happen. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> lesson um, plan gets sung. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things, sometimes I, I, I like to... Def- find myself as like a music geek or sometimes I can be a little bit pretentious with it especially <laughs> when it comes to new music mm-hmm. does it ever bother maybe not you specifically but when you're talking to other musicians or you know other people in that scene that when you hear some of the new popular songs that come on you know they're streaming high or they're on the radio and it's just kind of like the whole song is just slap that booty or something you know <laughs> you know what I mean like it's just there's nothing to it mm-hmm. but yet 
it's popular. Like it's all over the place. It's making tons of money. Yeah. And then you have people who literally are so talented mm-hmm. and they work so hard. Yes. And I don't I don't want to discredit the people putting out that music yeah. as if they're not talented or hardworking. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm saying. But there's just it's just does it ever come up in conversation? Does it ever bother anybody uh, or musicians that sometimes it just like you pour your heart and soul into something and you mm-hmm. think it's meaningful? Yes. And then the popular thing is about slapping booty or getting yes. drinks at the club. I like, know. Is it ever... I know. <laughs> to me, to me, it's deflating. I don't know about you know for talented people trying to make it. Well, I think for a lot of people that's kind of frustrating. But it's also the reason why that's so popular is the simplicity of it, and it's something that's more accessible to people. People make fun of pop music because it's four chords over and over yeah. and over again, but that's just so accessible to people and. I find, I mean, you can talk about academia as well. It's just like this huge divide between these professional musicians who have studied their whole lives and then the general public. So they're just, you'd have to bridge that gap anyways. So that's why those really simple hooks always work. Um, but then you think back to things like the Beatles and it's like, you, it can still be simple and it can still be meaningful. Yeah. Um, and I wish, and I'm going to sound like such an old woman, but I'm getting there because I've just been <laughs> spending more time with the children in my life. And just, and I teach social media. So it's like the combination of social media and this kind of music and interacting with children. You just find yourself, you're like, when a six-year-old looks at you and and asks you what this song is about and (laughs) it's exactly everything you just described. You're like, hmm. Yeah. um, My, uh, he he must have been six or seven at the time, but my little brother (laughs) singing uh, Wiggle, Wiggle, Wiggle. uh, Like (laughs) I think it was Jason Derulo a couple years ago. And he just said it. I'm like, don't you sing that song. <laughs> I know. No. <laughs> and you find yourself, you're like, I got really old on the inside. Yeah. You're like, that's inappropriate. Yeah. Don't. So I just wish there was more balance in that regard. And yeah. I, um, I got into media and, and, and communication because of just understanding how important that is for all of society and, and how it is to raise a society with access to this amount of information and the quality of information that kids now uh, have access to. Yeah. It's one of the... the f- weirdest things is that you know my three-year-old sister can navigate youtube mm-hmm. probably better than i can yes and i'm just like how <laughs> you can't even ask for milk properly but yet you're on youtube like <laughs> like just going about and it's like that is that's worrisome for sure and i think that this understanding that or, or this definition that they're digital natives that's what children are now they're digital natives mm. it's like no you aren't just born with an inclination towards that like there still needs to be so much education around it and yeah. i just don't think we're there yet like technology no, has sure. just gone and we're just trying to keep up with well that's technology. it it moves it moves so fast mm-hmm. and like the government can't keep up like you know our regulatory bodies are just like starting to nav like navigate regu- like regulating high-speed internet like, <laughs> we've had that for 25 years right and like by the time we finally catch up yeah. um one of the the best analogies i ever heard too is um you know information especially with the internet and stuff there's like it's like a diet like you have mm-hmm. good information mm-hmm. like for your diet and you have a bad information for your diet and unfortunately bad information you you go into fake news Mm -hmm. you go into you know clickbait headlines Mm -hmm. all that stuff like that's the stuff that wins and yes and you also (laughs) just think about like how somebody understands the way the world works around them 
Um, because I mean, even through this podcast, like I could look like a really accomplished, successful person. You go online and it's just like post after post of things are awesome. Um, yeah. and the way that we curate our online lives is not at all the way our lives are. But then you think about the three-year-old on YouTube, that this is the way everybody's lives are. Why isn't my life like that? It's just leading to so many yeah, crazy true. problems. Yeah. I remember listening. Do you know who Jonathan, oh, I'm going to say his name wrong. <laughs> Hyde, had, had it, Hyde. Anyway, he, uh, he was on a podcast I was listening to mm -hmm. and. He, he, he's published a book about this. I should have looked it up, but this is what happens when you're just talking and off the top of your head. Um, but I was talking about that and the link between uh, the correlation. It, it's not a, a, an established link, but mm -hmm. the rise in um, depression and anxiety and suicide, especially with young women, or mm -hmm. young girls, I, mm -hmm. I should say that, like 12, 13. Mm -hmm. And they're experiencing that much earlier than you know, hormones or all that stuff would dictate. And it's, yeah. you know, how, how are we supposed, like when a, a child that three could navigate YouTube faster than an adult, how is an adult supposed to be able to monitor it or, or anything like that without totally taking it away? It's, Ooh, it's a debate for the ages. <laughs> right. Yeah. Jeez. Anyway, songwriting. <laughs> it's like, sorry, I just took us way down. That. It's been on my mind recently in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> it's all around. It's all around us. How can it not? Yes. Be? Um, I went through, uh, kind of, I don't, I don't know what it was. It was a very anxious, overwhelming time where the political and cultural discourse, especially on Twitter, mm. like, consumed me and consumed mm -hmm. my life that it was like I was taking it off of Twitter and like impacting it and like putting it into my real life like all the stuff you're talking about you know like left versus right and you know there was the me too movement and, and white equals racist like all this stuff was just like it was coming at me and I was just like taking it so seriously mm -hmm. and, and my girlfriend looks at me one day and just is she's like like this is like really bothering you right Mm -hmm. And I was like, it just kind of like all of a sudden, like everything just whoop, and I snapped and yeah. I was out of it. I was like, oh, oh my God. Well, yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and no. And it's so funny because I do teach social media. And then when I'm in class, I'm like, manage and create good content and make the world a better place. That's your goal. Mm. Uh, try to not spend a lot of time there, <laughs> which is just this, this thing. It's just like be on social media, but also don't. Um, and then like, you know, as me trying to market a podcast or you yes. trying to market, you know, your next gig or your next mm -hmm. album, pretty much the only avenue at this point that we yes. really have is social media. Yes. I mean, you, you can go to the shows, you can put up posts. There's still mm -hmm. some traditional ways, of course, networking. Everyone uses social media yes. to try to market a pro themselves or brand a product. Absolutely. And so now you're at this balance, and I don't know if you experienced it. I sure do. Of mm -hmm. like, I don't want to be on it, but here mm -hmm. I am. You have to manage the algorithm and mm -hmm. and try to be seen and go in these engagement groups and yes. comment and like. And I'm just like I. Just can people listen to my podcast, please? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, I know. It's, so the, it's tough. the biggest thing that I did for my own mental health was one deleting Facebook Messenger from my phone. Mm. and just resolving to check it from a desktop. And that is something that 
Facebook just makes it so difficult to mute notifications because the other thing that I did is mute all notifications. So your phone's not blowing up all the time because we don't understand the mental stress that that puts on us is every time I open my phone, there's 75 things I need Mm -hmm. to check. And then all of these platforms like Facebook are trying to get people on more regularly. So it's just like notifications like 37 people want to hang out with you. You should contact yeah. them. I'm like, no, Facebook. Yeah. We I haven't heard from you that. in a while. Yeah. Or like, your friend just posted. A notification. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you can talk about it a bit, but like, what do you kind of, I'm not even that old. I'm 27. But what are you seeing with like 18, 19 year olds now? Like it must... Is there, like, a, a have you seen a change over the years of teaching or anything when it comes to social media and, and maybe mental health or anxiety or, or anything like that? Like, are things changing in that aspect? Well, I think it's nice that we're talking about it. And then my students are feeling more confident in actually walking up and expressing these things and seeking the help that they need on campus. Mm-hmm. We have excellent resources on campus for them. But... When it comes to social media, what you see is that because they're on it younger and younger, I mean, their decision-making power isn't there at 12 years old to make decisions for their careers. So the kind of content that they're posting and that they're rediscovering as they're becoming adults, because they forgot that they started a Twitter account when they were 12 and then sent out 2,000 tweets of God knows what. Um, So they come to this class and mostly we spend so much time in class just trying desperately to delete content of things that they can't even believe that they would put on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And then you're sitting there trying to get a job later on. Um, even I think about just like your entire, I don't understand how your entire childhood can be available on the internet. Like everything from the day you're born, constant photos of yeah. everything that's there. Um, people should have a say in what kind of content I- exists of them when it comes to the internet. And then they're 25 trying to get a job. And then when you Google their name, like it's all their baby pictures and their Twitter account from when they were 12. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Because like when yeah. I was coming into it, I was at least like I think 15 when Facebook yes. came so like I had to go delete a lot of stuff <laughs> but, <laughs> but not like that bad yeah. and then you see kind of you know especially in politics right now mm-hmm. that people go looking like they will dig through every piece of thing you've ever posted looking yes. for that one for sure that one thing yeah. just to to take you out absolutely and that stress I'm like oh shit what did I definitely tweeted some dumb stuff yeah like but yeah do i have to scroll through all of it (laughs) uh we we can talk about it after i can give you some some tips and some tools yeah deleting many tweets yeah we will (laughs) we definitely will 2012 ryan was not smart he was was definitely angsty yeah um yeah it's it's uh i don't know where it's gonna go and one of the biggest concerns i have is how much they control now mm-hmm. of our discourse and our, our conversation and oh for sure um, and what information we have access exactly. to and when those algorithms yes. i don't think people realize are real sketchy hugely powerful <laughs> um it's a lot of control if you control the media you control a whole lot um and what i'm seeing with students as well is a lot of them are being open about debt problems and money problems and that's not only just because of the economic state uh, for young people, but it's also this constant 
pressure to keep up and the fact that we have the ability to target advertisements specifically to you based on all of your emails and everything that you've ever liked online. Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets really crazy what advertisers have access to. And then if you got all these targeted emails specifically to you based on your interests that are just in this device that's constantly in your hands and your brain is still forming until the age of 25, yeah. like we're going to make some choices. <laughs> yeah, we're going to invest yeah. in that. 36% interest rate, $5,000 loan, and spend years trying to pay it off. Yes. Guilty. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know where it goes because mm -hmm. there's such a battle. And like mm -hmm. I said, we're, we're so slow on reacting that mm -hmm. like most of the people in charge of making decisions are like, what's the Instagram Snapchat thing again? And you're like, no, <laughs> no, Aunt Diane, they're different. <laughs> um, and they're, they're supposed to regulate and, and keep us safe. And, yeah. you know, is it, is it, you know, free speech and mm -hmm. is it, where does that fall? Does it need to be regulated? Is it a, is it a business? Is it up to yeah. us? Like it's that's all these every questions. Every content creator I talk to, it's just like, go make good content that makes the world a better place. Because if that's all that was on social media, it would probably be a different conversation. But if we were more mindful about the content that we're creating, like you're doing this podcast and you're you're spreading so many different voices about issues that people need to actually talk about. Mm -hmm. um, you're not just trying to sell me brand name sneakers because that will apparently make me look better and feel better. Um, though it doesn't matter how much money I spend on those sneakers, mm -hmm. that is not the problem. It was yeah. not the shoes that I had on my feet. Like <laughs> yeah. Well, going back to your point, like the, the reason I kind of started this is not only for, you know, my mental health and, and just meeting new people, but there's just, to me, like the world today is just a starving of authenticity mm -hmm. from, you know, like politics aren't real, like traditional media is not real. You know, and there's so many interesting people. And even with this podcast, I can't even get to all the real things that people might want to see or talk mm -hmm. about because you have to be guarded. You have mm -hmm. to, okay, what is like, I can't say this because I might get in trouble with my job. I might, you know, say something and, and get sued. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you still, you can't even get to the real meat and potatoes of some things <laughs> that people want to say. There's a ton of things I want to say that mm -hmm. I have to be smart about. And, but just, there are some people, but a lot of people just aren't real on social media. Mm -hmm. And it just, it bugs me. And I was like, why, why can't I, you know, when you get into the influencers and stuff and you're just like, they're all the same with their aesthetic and the, and their wisdom. And you're just kind of like, like you just, like everyone's just doing the same thing. And we're just like, I think when influencers started, yeah, these people took off because they said good stuff. And now mm -hmm. it's just like, everyone's everyone wants to be an influencer at, at, at some point mm -hmm. and it's just like man what a drag like there's just now i don't even want to follow you because all you're doing is giveaways and talking about businesses and brands and your clients which i get it you're making your money good for you but you think about all the good things that could be said and all the ways the world could be made a better place if influencers were influencing for a different reason <laughs> right yeah. I, I respect them when they you know, if they're doing a product that they use themselves mm -hmm. or something like that. And I don't know. It's, it just depresses me, man. Just, <laughs> We're getting to that point in the podcast. We yeah. should change the subject then, Ryan. Um, <laughs> Talking about influencers. <laughs> um, speak, I mean, 
we connected again and, and set this up. Uh, we met at a, a speaking engagement. Yes. We, we, I shouldn't, we met, we rendezvoused. We, we connected. <laughs> I like that um, so much. And, you know, I, I talk about my, my story and just, and just going through it. Um, and you were talking about creativity and mental health. Yeah, you know, you, I know the speech is on YouTube, so <laughs> I'll definitely like to tweet that out and stuff so they get the full picture. Oh, but thank you. What was the, you know, what were you trying to say? What were you going about when you went about that speech? Yeah. So uh, when I was asked to do it, it's because I run a series called Art Night, actually. So when Michael invited me to speak, uh, it was mostly because that series has been running now for six years, which is super fun. Um, and it's running twice a month. So we meet at Stella Luna Gelato. And oh, gelato. We eat gelato, yeah. which is uh, step one towards good mental health is gelato. Mm. And at first, it was just performances. So it was just kind of a cafe that I was booking other singer-songwriters to join me. Um, and it just ended up being like this really nice cafe vibe where everybody was just kind of coming on a Sunday night and de-stressing and unwinding. Um, but it was even before I booked that show, I just noticed that I was really young and I found music and I found this amazing creative outlet. But then I went to high school. I still had that. But all of my friends that went into different high schools and went into different areas, they didn't have that anymore. And so they seemed to be having a little bit more of a struggle than I did at that time. And then as we became adults, it got even worse because then you have all of these pressures on you all the time. You got the issues of trying to fit in, trying to get a job, trying to get five jobs, trying to keep said jobs. Um, and there's no stress relief in mm -hmm. sight. And people are sometimes thinking, okay, well, I just need to unwind and I'm just going to watch Netflix or I'm going to unwind. So I'm going to scroll through my social media feed. But for me, that was never powerful enough to calm my anxiety. Like I needed to be doing something as simple as doing something could be. Um, and for me, for a long time, that was music. And especially when I wasn't doing it professionally, it was great that I could just go and physically interact with an instrument. And that physicality, like we all need something kinesthetic in our lives. Um, and exercise is great, but mm. creating something and the end result of actually making something as ugly as it is, it does not have to be anything beautiful, but just that you did that thing. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a very different feeling from exercise. So I had this and I just noticed that so many people in my life didn't. And so I had a couple of nights at my apartment at the time where I just invited people over. Um, it's like five or six of us. And I said, okay, here's some canvases here's some dollarama paint and this is our activity for the night and at first people giggled but then people really liked it and everybody was asking when's the next one when's the next one um i took on a weekly show at a bar and i was like let's test this theory shall we so i showed up at the bar uh it's a monday night at 9 p.m and i've got a bunch of crayons and construction paper with me <laughs> at the bar and I'm starting to play some music and there's just crayons and construction paper hanging around. And at first people walked in and laughed and made fun of the art supplies on the table. Like, what is this? This is a bar. Ha ha ha. Three beers later, those guys were all over the art supplies. They were all over the crayons. Every single person there was doing some kind of art, as terrible as it was. It did not have to be beautiful, but everybody was smiling in a way that they weren't actually when they walked into that place. 
So just seeing that very, very easy introduction to art again, because what happens is everybody thinks that art is for two people or two groups of people. Art is for children mm-hmm. or it is for professionals. Mm-hmm. And what makes me laugh about that is because it's absolutely not for professionals. And for me as a musician, for anybody to say music's only for you because you are a professional, um, I do it so regularly that it's not necessarily the best form of stress relief for me. Right. Because it gets to a point where you're just like, I hold myself to a certain standard. If I'm spending time doing this, then it should be towards business goals, blah, 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 blah. So when I'm actually stressed, I'm not playing music anymore. I am painting chubby animals. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Chubby, chubby animals. animals. Yeah. They're just all super cute and very chubby. And I paint them. And it's terrible. And nobody would ever give me money for that art. But it's just something that at the end of a one-hour period, I have completely cleared my head because the only thing I had to worry about was like painting in this pug's legs. Like That's all I had to do for that hour. And it's okay for me to schedule that time in because we need that release. We need that opportunity. I shouldn't feel guilty the whole time that I'm painting the pug's legs because I'm not doing work. It's like I can schedule that in and I can be okay with that. And at the end, I created something. I did something physical and I got myself out of my head. Mm -hmm. So just doing that for so long, bringing crayons into bars and into the classroom. I mean, I still have stickers in class and I definitely have taught people up to the age of 68 and they're all down to win some stickers in class. Like there's that kid in all of us and we should give ourselves and give other people permission Mm -hmm. uh, to engage with that child inside of us more often. Yeah. There's uh, that, that mindset, especially today and when we talk about social media is that that grind i need to be 24 hours Mm -hmm. a day doing this doing that doing this um one of my favorite quotes and this is a paraphrase because i can't remember exactly (laughs) but it's like once you know like once you see the way you see it in all things Mm -hmm. and what i take from that and when i bring that up with what you were saying is when you're saying i don't have to feel guilty because i'm i'm doing this Mm-hmm. When I apply that quote to it, it's you're understanding that by taking this hour mm-hmm. that it is going to make, you know, all these other things better, whether it's your writing, your music, um, your, your teaching, your performing, whatever that is, mm-hmm. because you took that hour yes. and, and, and are, you're still working your brain. You're still mm-hmm. doing something. You're not mm-hmm. being a, a slob, but <laughs> it it's helping you create and and develop in in those certain ways and who knows maybe when you're drawing you you pick up you're like think of a song lyric oh that'd be great and you know what i mean like it just that stuff is all part of the process too yeah and that's that's i love like Mm -hmm. and i'm i'm a advocate for that as well okay so you're gonna go paint some chubby animals (sighs) i do stick figures (laughs) um chubby stick figures to me to me like that's what this podcast is in a way i i don't know if a podcast is, is art it is but it's the same process for me that i'm mm-hmm. creating and now i'm sitting you know with you or or with this other guest and i'm engaged in a conversation and yes. i'm not thinking of anything else outside of it right now i'm yes. listening to what you're saying mm-hmm. and then you know i'm picking up things and i'm you see me i'm writing things down and and all that stuff it's just like to me that's where 
I'm trying to expand my brain so everything else that I do is better. Yes. And I don't know. Maybe Much I- is it. Everybody you're, you're talking about kind of this burnout culture that we've created. So uh, people are like, you're doing stuff all the time. Uh, and social media also gives that illusion that mm-hmm. you are constantly doing things. When sometimes I'm posting because I was doing an event and there was no time. It doesn't mean that I'm currently doing that. But the world's perception is you're also doing that now. And yeah. then you're doing this other thing. But we can't exist and we can't be efficient when we're constantly in a state of burnout. And it took me just a few years of learning that because I was working three or four jobs doing university. Um, and I would say it was probably only by like year six when I was finishing grad school that I was like, I can't do this to myself for the rest of my life. So I need to give myself permission if I'm feeling like I'm going insane or if i'm heading towards burnout i need to give myself permission to have those moments of relaxation Mm -hmm. so even if i'm working with students i was like you should never be looking at a blank page for eight hours and just wondering what to write like that's not a good use of your time you're stressed out the whole time you need to go and do something else preferably something physical because that's Mm -hmm. going to get you out of your head because all you're doing is second guessing yourself if you're staring at that blank page forever Mm -hmm. um you shouldn't be spending your time that way there's way better ways of spending your life and yet i think everyone especially students that's what like we do Mm -hmm. like that the the writing the essay the Mm -hmm. night before it's due yeah um and i don't i just don't know Anyway, that, that's a conversation all on its own. If that's the right way, we need to be bringing people up into the world. But um, how does it make you feel then that arts, the arts, always seem the, to be the first to go? Um, when we're talking about like budget cuts, um, when we're talking about people who, you know, talk about, you know, the economy, the, the this, the, the that, like... There's a lot of people who put art at the bottom of the Mm -hmm. list. Yeah. Um, Whether that's music, that's drawing, that's creating, all that stuff. It's it's always at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely shouldn't be. No, it's it's always the first to go. It's always cut first. Uh, In organizations, when there's an economic problem, the communications department is always the first to be cut. Um, There's just this lack of value for good communicators and... I think arts helps you to develop so much empathy and it's just like, it's a huge, huge coping mechanism. So that's why it's like, I don't care if people think it's for professionals. It's absolutely not. Every single person should have some kind of creative outlet in addition to some of the other things Mm -hmm. that they use to cope day to day. Uh, But it's such a shame that arts funding is constantly cut. Uh, In fact, on Saturday, it's my high school's 50th reunion party or anniversary party. uh, And it's a fundraiser for the school. So I will be there from 7 in the morning until midnight volunteering (laughs) to raise money for the arts program for the high school. Because a lot of the funding for that program just comes from students and parents and members of the community raising money to keep it alive. Um, and I really believe in that program. So uh, it's sad to see the funding constantly cut. Yeah, I just, I don't get it. And I don't know how you can convince, you know, politicians and, and people high up when they're only mm-hmm. concerned about money, about, it kind of like goes to the, the, I guess, in a way, the theory of, you know, keeping a, a when you're talking about business, like a happy employee. Yeah. Um, that everyone always kind of thinks of the bottom line and dollar value mm-hmm. when if you have a happy employee or using the art example, when you, you give people these outlets 
to create and to express emotion and, and express all the things in their, their head, their anxieties, their, their ups and their downs and whatever the outlet is, that that allows room to, to grow almost exponentially mm-hmm. in, in all these areas, which will in turn will bring you the money. Yes. And I just, like, where is that disconnect? And I, I just, yeah. as a young person, like, just still relatively new in, in the career field, like, I just, I look at all these things, I'm like, like, how is that answer not clear to you? Or is it just my opinion and it's not the answer? I don't know. No, it's not but. your opinion. And <laughs> if you want to help, I'm going to do a, a plug right now. Um, in five minutes, just five minutes of your time, anybody who's listening in all of Ottawa who has actually purchased any kind of music thing or gone to a show at all and spent money at a show this year, um, there is currently on the Ottawa Music Industry Coalition website. There, What's that website? Uh, it's, I believe, omic.ca, but just Google Ottawa Music Industry Coalition. Um, and they're running a survey because what is happening right now is we're trying to convince everybody that music is a huge economic driver. And so we're trying to make Ottawa a music city. Um, so I sit on the board of OMIC and the next step is really gathering all this information. We're hoping to have responses from over a thousand people of just people who have gone to shows, all the musicians in town, all of the music businesses in town. So we can get that kind of economic scope of how much money is spent If that's going to be the one factor for all of these people to provide funding, if you want to see the economic benefits of arts, and they're huge. Like when you think about a a festival like Blues Fest. Oh, for sure. They're huge. The, the, The benefits of supporting the arts, not only just for all of the reasons we've already talked about, but for that economic purpose. So you can help us if you just fill out that survey. It takes five minutes. Okay. I'll I'll get that out on, uh, on the, on the social media. On the social media. When I'm, balancing my time on it (laughs) um i mean it's just i is ottawa music town and i know i have people outside of ottawa and you know it a lot better than i do um (laughs) because you're you're more on the grassroots level Mm -hmm. and 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 you you see people who just those are the people who truly love music but when i look at things you know major acts in Mm -hmm. my line of business they always skip ottawa Mm -hmm. almost always because we never sell out ever not even the biggest band you can think of we don't sell out Mm -hmm. and that one like what where's that disconnect is it just they don't want to spend that much money but they'll spend a little bit of money (laughs) i guess that's what the survey will 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 say yeah i think that's what the survey is that's what gets that boring you know that boring reputation I know. And it was only a few years ago that they, um, in in partnership with the city, unveiled the Ottawa Music Strategy. So there's actually a, a policy in place right now to make Ottawa Music City because it hasn't been. But it's like, where do we find the audiences and how do we convince them to leave their very comfortable houses? Yeah. Um, but I think that there's just so many simple ways to support everything that's happening locally. And it's like, one, go to one show a year. Go to one show. That makes a big difference. Uh, if you want to actually see Ottawa talent get to a point where it's on the radio and you're like, oh, wow, they're from Ottawa and I knew them, uh, book a living room show. It's so easy and people don't realize. You can What's contact that? any local musician and just say, hey, do you want to come play my house party? I'm having 20 people in my living room and I'd like you to just show up and play a couple of sets. 
um, we're having a potluck and people are going to put money in a hat. And every musician is going to be like, yes, I will be at your house. I just didn't even tell know that me was a when. Thing. It's totally a thing. That's amazing. And they're the best because it's just like this epic room full of energy everybody's listening and it just becomes this like beautiful storytelling experience and it's something that is way more money than a local musician is going to see at most shows so those kinds of things can immediately be taken and put into that very expensive album um but it's just like just go out once once a year to a local show because it's just i think what's also disheartening for local musicians is just the amount of people that just appear during blues fest time or during city folk time and it's like but hey guys we're here all year and we're ready to entertain you yeah. and for only five dollars usually um but we can get to a point where you're seeing us on a city folk stage or you're seeing us performing at blues fest because you've gone out that one time a year to support or you bought that ten dollar cd hmm yeah, it's so, all cyclical, eh? We got to find those audiences, and I think we've got to figure out how to get more funding and how to get more people's eyes on Ottawa, because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of talent here, and we can be considered a mm-hmm. music city. I mean, not to, like, toot your own horn there or pump your tires, but I think you did play Blues Fist, and you played City <laughs> Folk, haven't you? Yes. So, yeah. I get big people in here now. So I, just, <laughs> I wanted to, to point that out. But those are usually just... Even when you're just like, how did you do albums? It's always been a team thing. Like everything, even city folk. Like that's, it's it's the support of so many people over so many years that gets somebody there. Like it's definitely not me just putting up my hand and saying, book me for city folk. It's, it's, it's years in the making and it's from those people who are leaving their houses and booking living room shows and, and giving to the Indiegogo campaign to help finance my albums that I release independently as we talked about. Um, and it's the people who are just constantly encouraging and saying, when's the next projects? How mm-hmm. can we help you with things? Um, it goes a long way. If you're just one person thinking that you don't know how you're going to make a difference and you'd like these bigger acts to come to Ottawa, leave your house once a year and come to a show. Because apparently there's a million people that live here. And if a million people go to those shows, uh, we'd be a very different city, I think. What are some good venues uh, in Ottawa? I mean, I know there's people outside of here who listen. So if you're ever coming to Ottawa, here's like a pro tip. Or like, what are some like really good venues in Ottawa? This is my favorite thing to plug. Um, one, Live on Elgin. I'm saying that because I'm super biased and I love it. Uh, but I was playing there last night. Oh, that's where the podcast festival was too. So, so great. Uh, it's so good. The people that they hire in there are also musicians and actors all working the jobs there. It's great. Uh, Live on Elgin's awesome. Irene's. If you're looking for like a bluesy kind of experience, uh, Irene's is great. Queen Street Fair just opened. Mm. Um, I, I'm saying just, it opened a, a little bit of time ago, but uh, there's a lot of really great shows that go on at Queen Street Fair downtown. Um, what other music venues? Pressed is a place if you're looking for like a 15 seater show and you want it to be super intimate and acoustic. Pressed is really good. You put me on the spot, and no, I'm, I'm thinking okay. of like 75 venues that I'd probably like to say something about, and I'm just mentioning a lot of places that are downtown. The Rainbow is fun. Yeah. The I'm Rainbow is there. good. Hmm. So needless to say, there's a lot. Yeah. Well, I find myself doing a lot of corporate stuff and not doing as many music venue things. Oh, really? So I'm trying to remember all of the really, really good places. Oh, Bar Robo is really nice, too. 
That's in Chinatown. Which is the the funniest thing is I've lived here pretty much my whole life and I'm pretty active outside and I've never heard of most of those. <laughs> oh no. They're yeah. they're wonderful. You're gonna come to a show with me sometime, Ryan. Yes. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I definitely do. That's always been one thing I've I've it's always on the agenda. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm figuring out life a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Putting it, I can be one of those one of those million people for one sure. One million people, just one. But I've seen you perform a, a bunch of times. And you're, you're great. So <laughs> thank you. You're, you're thank welcome. You very much. Um, I don't know if you remember that time we were um, at that, uh, that birthday event of our friend alum of the podcast Dylan Black, but I was front row singing every single song with you. <laughs> so I don't know, that was a long time ago. That's one of my favorite. That's a good memory. What was that? Was that four years ago? Five must have been. Yeah. yeah, that was at uh, Lower Town. Yep. Wow, yeah. that was five years ago. Time flies when you're making podcasts. Holy moly. <laughs> I'm only a year into this. So there's just kind of like two years there. That was kind of like a blur. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think we can all say that about yeah. two years of our lives Seriously. for sure. <laughs> um, where, who are some of the artists like you listen to that you... I don't want to say get inspiration from, but like what, mm-hmm. what's on your playlist? What, 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 what's going on? So I super like a lot of local bands and because I'm at so many Good shows, for you. I end up hearing yeah. a lot of them. Um, and I book them all for my art night as well. Uh, just cause they're so much fun. Uh, Tina Wallace is hilarious and she just kind of does these comedic interludes in between songs. Uh, Jump and Joel Flash and the magic machine uh, for name alone. <laughs> yeah, I love these names. <laughs> You're so, it's so um, dramatic. His stage show is so incredible. Uh, we played once at the Gladstone Theater on the set of Little Shop of Horrors, and the um, man-eating flower danced while we were playing music. It was very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a whole list of weird gigs that I could also recite. Um, other bands that are great, the Peptides. Peptides I've are also times. very good. Um, oh my gosh, and I'm blanking as well. There's so many people I could mention. On the French side, if you like French music, Christine St. Pierre is really, really good, really talented, hmm. an excellent storyteller in both languages. And who else do I want to mention? There's like 300 super talented acts. In Ottawa. It's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah, it's a whole pod. Like, I could just spend an hour naming everybody who's really incredible. Um, But I'd say that my biggest influence right now that I'm kind of listening to on repeat is a band from Montreal called Half Moon Run. I just Mm. think that the the rhythms and the melodies and the harmonies are so good. And watching them live, each band member plays, like, four instruments. And they're constantly switching and all four are singing simultaneously. And it's so much fun to watch. Oh, wow. And it's so good. What kind of like genre, if it fits one? Um, it's much more the kind of indie rock. Um, we got a lot of play on like alternative stations in town. Oh. So I would take a look at them if you're into that. Interesting. Okay. Half Moon Run. I played a Dragon Boat Festival this year. I got to see them live. I've been waiting for so long to see them live. It was great. Do you get to meet them too? Like, do you get like a little press? I'm a musician too. Like, go backstage. When you're playing the big festivals, yeah. 
Um, otherwise, I can't usually just walk up and say, I play guitar, I swear. Let me backstage. <laughs> be like that wrestler and being fake, the Lacey Evans thing where you're just like, don't you know who I am? I'm a musician. Okay, I should try that next time. Um, but was, like, Are you working on a, another album coming up here? Is that, is that in the works? Are you working on new material? Like, one of the fun things I, I love, and I always get into this problem where I ask so many questions in one, but then <laughs> I just get excited. Um, like, do you ever go out and you're like, test out a song? So mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about when I, I listen to comedians talk is they talk about working out material before you like you bring it mm-hmm. to like the, the special or the big time. Mm-hmm. Like, is it the same thing like for you? Like, do you kind of like write a song? I'm hmm. Go out and play it a couple of times, get the reaction, see if you're happy with it. Like, is there like that test process or like, do you kind of just like, you're just like done and then you just send it out to the, to the world. Now this is part of my repertoire. I think there's only two songs that I wrote in 20 minutes because they just happened. And it's like, this needs to happen right now. Stop everything. Uh, but the other ones, like I'm a pretty big perfectionist, so mm. I spend a lot of time revising before I will even play it in front of people. But it always changes. Like when it gets to a point that you've played it so often, and it depends too. Like I've got different iterations in my head of each song um, for how long a segment needs to be on different media channels. Or if I've only got so much time left in a set, then I can edit the song as I'm going uh, to change it to match whatever it is that I need. Um, so they change over time. Like as, as soon as you, even what I've got on the albums, as soon as you've played it that many times live, it definitely changes. Just to spice things up a little bit. Eh? Yeah. So you're, you're working on some new stuff right now. Yeah. Um, I've done some traveling in the last few years, which. That's right. You're in Portugal. Yeah. <laughs> which is so That's nice. Dope. So much sun. Uh, can you tell that I'm extremely tanned right now? <laughs> Very pale. The good <laughs> it's the fluorescence. Um, yeah, no. So I, I did some shows in Germany and I did some shows in Portugal and in between in the last couple of years, just kind of visiting other countries and seeing the way other people make art and other people live and just kind of falling in love over and over mm-hmm. again with all these different places, which is kind of the beauty of traveling. And I feel so blessed to have been able to go to any of these places and, and, and perform in some of them. But the next album is kind of, again, why I, I think it's so much of a struggle for me to understand that people are pulling arts funding and pulling comms funding because the, the only thing we need in life as humans is the ability to communicate with other humans. And so going into these other cities and kind of picking up little languages along the way, because I didn't want to be that English speaking person that walks in and is like, I demand that all of you speak English. Mm. And, um, I really, really love other languages. And then when I was in high school, they trained us to sing in many different languages, though we'd get the translation. I didn't necessarily understand always what was going on. Uh, But now I've picked up a little bit of French. I've picked up a little bit of Portuguese. And I've met a couple of people in other countries that make art. So the next album that I'm working on is going to be multilingual. And it's going to kind of be like a love letter to the world. But it's going to take some time. Yeah, that's... It's going to take some time. One of the most... Um, a couple of, it was a year or two years ago um, I did it an opera singer and she she sung in all those different languages mm-hmm. and she would do uh, take like um, translator things on her phone she's like <laughs> trying to like understand it because she's trying to learn a song yep. and it was like the way 
I'm musically inclined, but the way like how that worked and how your brain must work to to pick out a language you're not familiar with and then put it into not only music and a song but your song so you're still speaking from your voice like that that's fascinating because like i still say bonjour like i I can't (laughs) i can't even speak french (laughs) but there's something like german that i've met this very very lovely german artist that i'm hoping that i can collaborate certain parts because i also don't want to do a disservice to the language um but other languages that i just feel comfortable it's also just making these things a little more accessible for everybody so if I'm in Portugal and I've got this chorus that's in Portuguese, but it's also English in the verse, it's just kind of hopefully breaking down barriers between people and breaking down some of those language barriers. That's the hope for the project, right. but it's going to be a, it's going to be project. a doozy. That's fun. <laughs> so Lofty we can goals. expect that in the next like, uh, couple months. Oh yeah. It's going to be released <laughs> in two days. No. One. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. Um, good for you for trying to, change the world and put up oh, great content thank you um, <laughs> that's the goal. it's kind of sad that you know a lot of artists in europe and if they want to make it big they have to put out english music. yeah you know like yeah. you're getting big people now from from sweden and mm-hmm. germany and france and but they all they all have to sing in english and not yeah. their native tongue in order i mean you can be big in your country but yes. you want to it's like it's english yeah so you kind of give away some of your your culture and what makes you yeah. who you are just to put it out there and just to make it pop make money yeah and uh, uh that's why i feel like it's it's a kind of love letter from canada too it's mm. just kind of this we I, I will meet you halfway like i'm going to learn this much so that we can communicate it's like i don't I, I just felt so uncomfortable with the idea of touring in these other countries where the native language was different and then i would just walk up and say hey guys how's it going tonight like the least i can do is say hello in your language and thank you in your language uh but i think the next step for me to feel much more comfortable would be to sing in their language what was that like performing in another country for the first time like that that must have been terrifying yeah you're kind of like (laughs) I, I don't know if you've like done like other cities in, in Canada and, and stuff, but you know, mm-hmm. primarily Ottawa and now all of a sudden you're on the other yeah. side of the ocean, like trying to Yep. Well I toured um Ontario and the East Coast a few times. Okay. Okay. Uh so the touring thing wasn't new, which was I think helps because I was still terrified that first show. Because my first show actually out of the country was in Berlin in Germany. And I just, it, the whole room was packed, which was very nice, but I had no idea what was about to happen. I had no idea who could speak English, if I was to, to speak in between songs, or if I was to sing in English, how that would uh, go. But most people speak English mm-hmm. wherever you're going in the world. Um, so everybody was so kind and so helpful and helped me book a couple of extra shows while I was there too. Um, and the same in Portugal. And I was actually quite surprised because I played in Lisbon and there were almost no Portuguese people in the entire venue because it's come, become such a tourist destination oh. that the only Portuguese person was the owner. <laughs> Even the bartender was German. And everybody was from like Hong Kong and England. And uh, we had somebody from Denmark and there was somebody from Australia. Like it was it was very cool because it's just people from around the world. We had two people from India. Um, and in some cases, people were like, yeah, we're about to get on a plane, but we just heard music in the street. And so we decided to come on by. Awesome. But, and now, yeah. you know, they can take their your music back with them to 
yeah their respective countries and so that's the hope and it was nice because everybody spoke everybody spoke english at that show so i i didn't feel um as much like i was just forcing my englishness on everybody um because next time it will be a different story i hope <laughs> <laughs> um where can people find your music? Like, so I know you have some albums, but like, where can they get them? Are you on all yeah. the streaming platforms and everything? I'm like on that? all the streaming platforms. So if you're on Spotify listening to this podcast right now, uh, I'm also on Spotify and you're on Apple Music. Yeah. I'm also on Apple Music, Google Music, all those things. Um, but my website is daniellealard.com. Uh, Super it's just easy. My name. Uh, and you can find everything there. Way so to get the domain like there. for that too. Eh? You don't have to oh. do like underscore. Yeah. One, two, three. <laughs> Fortunately, I did have to add a J in my name on social media platforms because the other Danielle Allard already took my username. Oh my God. And they probably don't <laughs> even tweet anymore. <laughs> it's been like 10 years. Yeah, um, I'm listen. not that invested though. I'm not going to get them to sell it to me. <laughs> Best of luck. Uh, Thank you. I like to say uh, keep hammering. That's my kind of my new catchphrase. I like to tell, but it's a good one. Um, I mean, it's it's amazing to see someone who not only, you know, works hard and is a great person, but just, like, continue that progression upwards. They're going to make me cry, um, Ryan. I'm sorry. Mm. It's all emotional. But, uh, <laughs> no, like, continued success. And, I, uh, like I said, uh, off mic that, you know, I've, I have been following along, like, with albums and stuff like that. So uh, I look forward to seeing and hearing more. And I look forward to seeing and hearing more podcasts. But this was nice to catch up. It was. Thank right. you. Bye, everybody. Bye. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.